And Father, that word is true. That Jesus Christ, you are enough. You are enough to overcome every temptation, every sin, even death itself, to overcome it in victory. And that freedom and that victory is available to all who call on your name alone as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray we would not become so familiar with the greatest truth of all time that we fail to be in awe of it again today. Father, I ask right now, God, as your spirit continues to work, Holy Spirit, would you now open our hearts, open our eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to respond in humility with what your word says to us today. It is living, it is active, it is the mouthpiece of God himself speaking to us, life and godliness, and I pray we would not shun that. I pray we would not listen and then walk away unchanged. Just, oh, that's a great message. But God, we would be convicted by the power of your Holy Spirit and stirred up with a great fervency to say, here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, change me. Help us to love you more today. Help us to love one another today. God, I pray you would increase this, that every person leaving here would say, truly, I've just encountered Jesus Christ, and I don't want to be the same even if I could be. I don't want to go back. Do a healing work, a saving work, a sanctifying work, all these things, God, you can do and more with but one word from your mouth. And so, God, please guard my mouth. Guard my mouth against error today. Say what you want to say for the glory of your awesome name and build your church. In Jesus' mighty name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, last week we began our series in the book of Acts. What a great launch to our series following Easter, entitled The Foundations of the church, a study through Acts, and we won't be going through verse by verse, word by word, every single chapter of Acts, there's going to be portions of that that we're focusing on that God is using to build his church, but what we need to understand right now is that um, Acts begins right after Jesus' resurrection and covers the first 30 years of the church's existence. It is literally, as I said last week, the book of Acts is the greatest church planting manual of all time. And it's named the Acts of the Apostles, but the right name for it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. All right? And so here's Jesus Christ building his church. And and so we looked at last week the first five verses, uh, which God outlined his purpose for the church. God's purpose was to teach his word and to do his work by the power of the Holy Spirit to teach and do, modeled after Jesus Christ himself. And we looked at the promise that he's given to the church to see that accomplished, the Holy Spirit. And now we're gonna take the next step with that and where God, he's given the promise for the church, but now he's giving the mission of the church, make disciples. It's the title of today's message, the mission of the church, make disciples. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. If you do not have a Bible with you, you're going to, trust me, you're going to want one in front of you today, all right? Ushers are coming up right now. Put your hand up. We're going to put one in front of you so that you can follow along. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then please take that as a gift for you to continue to study God's word on your own. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. Now, when we talk about the church, remember we started out this series with a definition of what the church is. We need to be clear on this. And so you'll see it on the screen again, and I pray that as we go through these next eight weeks of the series, this will become ingrained in our hearts. The church, the Greek word ecclesia, means this, an assembly of Christian believers, not a building. Remember, this building's a school. All right, the church is an assembly of Christian believers through which God has promised, get this, to advance his kingdom as they proclaim his word and seek his presence with increasing purity, passion, and power for his glory. I'm pretty fired up about church. Are you fired up about church? With increasing power, passion, 
and purity for his glory. If I could sum up that definition, I want to give you something even more succinct than that. Here's an umbrella definition. The summary of the church, the people of God living on mission for God. There it is right there. The people of God. Someone says, oh, you go to church. What's the church? You say the people of God living on mission for God. Let's try that together. What is the church? The people of God living on mission for God. Yes, let's get that ingrained in our hearts. Praise the Lord. Now, we we must be clear. We must be clear as we jump into this text today. Otherwise, it's not going to make sense. We have to believe this, that God has entrusted his church with a mission. Do you believe that? God has entrusted That means not just, okay, do whatever you want. He's entrusted something that we are to steward. And this is a mission for how he wants his church built for his glory. He didn't just, now this, so that's, we're going to look at the what and we're going to look at the how today. It's not like God says, here's your mission. Go figure it out on your own and just go do whatever you want. He's given us the what, and he's given us the how, and he's entrusted to that, which means he expects it to be followed. It doesn't get built any other way. You say, why is this important? I think this is one of the most strategic messages, strategically timed messages that the Holy Spirit has led us to for this time in the age in which we live. No question. The problem is this. We are living, church, in an age where there's massive mission drift happening in the church. Let's just cut to the chase. There's massive mission drift happening in the church across our nation and across this world. And instead of fulfilling the mission Christ has entrusted it with, there is an increasing drift from it. And this stems from the flow of increasing desire for cultural acceptance and increasing reliance on man-made strategies and methods that minimally, at best, resemble the mission Christ has given his church. Minimally, at best. That should, that's a sobering word for us today because the result is increasingly fruitless and powerless believers and entire churches, in and through whom the glory of God is absent. And in case you're wondering, hey, we got everything figured out of it. Hey, 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 here's the sober reality we need to understand, church. This can happen to us. Little compromise by little compromise. Don't say that part of the text, because that just might offend some people. Don't say this, that'll challenge people. Don't do this, don't... Careful. It can happen to us. It can happen to you. Slowly but surely, if we drift. And here in verses 6 to 11, we're looking at what God's mission is that he's given to the church and how he wants it fulfilled through us by his power at work in us. And we see three critical truths that we must embrace. Hey, church. Three critical truths we must embrace, okay? We must embrace as a church if we are to not drift from this mission and are to see God's kingdom advance for his glory in our lives, in our homes, in this city, in this nation, and around the world, there's one way that Christ has given. Ready to dive in? Let's get after it, church. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. The ascension... So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Awesome. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? 
This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Awesome. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, to fulfill God's mission for the church, first item we see is right here, first truth, we must submit to his authority. The truth is this, Christ is our king, loved ones, and we are his servants. It's not the other way around. It's not, Jesus, you serve me first. No, no, no. Christ is king, and we are his servants. Look at verses 6 to 7. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own Authority. Okay, let's get some context here. Reminder from last week. Jesus has risen from the grave 40 days earlier and has been appearing to his disciples throughout that time before he is taken up to heaven. And what's he doing in these 40 days? He's confirming his resurrection to them. Remember we talked about, you can see the scars, you can touch the scars. He walks through walls, he's literally eating with them. He's confirming the resurrection and he's giving his final instructions to them. And he has just finished giving them Uh, The promise that once he is gone, he will send the Holy Spirit to be their helper. And now, here's here's the picture. Here's the picture. He's gathered his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He's brought them together one last time on the Mount of Olives and is giving them their final instructions for the mission of establishing the church that they, along with us today, are being entrusted with. There's the picture And they ask Jesus a question to start. Notice this. Here they are in a moment. Look at verse 6. They ask him a question. They say this. So when they come together on the Mount of Olives, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? First thing we have to understand there is that word Lord. That word Lord. There is so much authority in that word Lord. All right. The, The Greek word there means this. A king or master who has absolute ownership who has absolute ownership rights, ruler of the universe, and if that wasn't uh, good enough, he sums it up, it means supreme authority. Supreme authority. Ownership rights. A lot in that word, eh? They rightly recognize Jesus as their king, and they would continue to have that understanding and faith refined as this book goes on. But then, so they got the right recognition, but then look, they ask him a question that shows a misunderstanding of what he's king over. Did you catch it? See, when they ask him if he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel, it shows they still believe Jesus was going to restore the political or territorial kingdom of Israel that they had in the past with King David and King Solomon. They thought that all the Old Testament prophecies were pointing to this. That's why they used, look at the verb there, restore. That means what we had before. Are you going to put it back in place? King David's throne, his dominion, Solomon, the splendor of all that. Is that what's coming for Israel? And they thought that Jesus' resurrection, along with the soon-to-happen giving of the Holy Spirit, which he'd which had been also prophesied in the Old Testament. Just look at Joel 2. It's there. They meant that finally, finally, think about this. They're like, are you going to come restore Israel? Finally, we're going to get out from under Roman rule, this oppression. We're under the Romans here. We want our kingdom back. They're just thinking Israel at this point. Okay? Misunderstanding. They thought the Roman rule was going to be overthrown. The earthly kingdom of Israel would be restored. But loved ones, what they failed to understand was that the kingdom of God that Christ was speaking of was not an earthly or political or territorial kingdom that would be established on earth right away. He's not talking about this. But it was referring to the reign of Christ in the hearts of believers and in the church that by his power, working in and through them, would transform lives and cultures. He's not talking about an earthly kingdom here. He's talking about a supernatural, heavenly kingdom that is being established. But they had their eyes so focused on Israel. I love how John Stott, commentator on Book of Acts, tremendous commentator, he said this, the kingdom of God is not a territorial concept. 
it does not and cannot figure on any map. Go, go look. I challenge you today. Guarantee. Go look on an atlas and say, where's the kingdom of God? You're not going to see it marked out there. It's not a territorial concept. It does not and cannot figure on any map. It is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. Now, clarify. You say, but I thought Jesus was coming back. Good news, he is. He is soon. Christ doesn't say, no, notice he doesn't rebuke them in the sense of, no, your question's wrong. The question itself, if he's going to establish an earthly kingdom, yes. He doesn't say that his earthly kingdom won't come. Eventually, Christ will come back to earth and establish a global earthly kingdom at his second coming. But until that day, the kingdom of God is advancing in the hearts of believers around the world. Clear? But he goes on to state this. Look at verse 7. He takes it one step further. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority. Jesus states, notice what he does there? He corrects the distraction. Jesus states that they are not to be distracted by asking these things. When's Israel going to be restored? When's Israel? He's like, you're missing the bigger picture, loved ones. Don't be distracted by asking these things because only God the Father knows the day and time that Jesus Christ will return to earth to establish his earthly kingdom. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, doesn't know the time. But I guarantee you this, he's standing up there saying like, now, 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 now. You see that? Now, now, not now, not now, now, not now. God the Father knows the time and the seasons. And notice there it says he's fixed those things. The word fixed there in the Greek means appointed or set. He's got a set time. That's not going to change. Well, this is going better. I'll just belay it. No, it's set. It's fixed. Time and season. That time by his own authority. And their focus was to be on fulfilling the mission he's given them instead of focusing on this little earthly kingdom that they wanted to have. Love how Mark 13, 32 to 33 states this. He says, but Jesus says, but concerning that day or hour when he's coming back, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven know. Nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father. So when you hear someone say, Christ is coming back on such and such a day, uh, they're wrong. No one will know that. Well, if I look at these, the way the things are lined up and the number patterns and everything. Nobody knows that. Only the Father. Okay? Be on guard, Jesus says. Keep awake, for you do not know when that time's going to come. You know what he's saying there? Get ready and live in that state of readiness. In essence, here's what Jesus is saying. Let's try to describe this word picture. Jesus is saying, hey, guys, guys, this is the last thing I'm going to say to you on earth. He's like, don't misunderstand what I'm calling you to do here. Don't get so focused on building an earthly kingdom that won't last and get distracted from the mission that I'm calling you to by focusing on things you're not meant to focus on as your first priority. Ouch. You're not meant to focus on them as your first priority. The authority I'm calling you to submit to does not rest in the hands of any man or any earthly kingdom that you think can be built by man. There is a greater kingdom being built, a greater work to be done in my time and in my way under my authority. There's a greater work to be done and this is what the disciples were in danger of missing right here. And it's what you and I are in danger of missing every single day. Why? Because arguably, we live in a time and culture where there is more distraction than there has ever been before. And the disciples were so focused on the little earthly kingdom, they missed the kingdom. And being a part of its advancement and expansion to the ends of the earth, as we will see. See, their focus here, God's focus here, was not just for Israel, but his focus was for the world. He's like, you think Israel's going to be a big deal? Wait till I bring the ends of the nations together. 
It wasn't just for this earthly kingdom, but an eternal kingdom. Loved ones, isn't it so easy for us to be distracted or focused on our little earthly kingdoms? How can I build this to be more comfortable? How can I build this to get my way, my time, my agenda? How can I do this to get the best grades and do these things? There's nothing wrong with working hard, loved ones, except when it becomes out of place. When godly order and God's mission starts to be sacrificed on the altar of an earthly kingdom that we are trying to build. We get so focused. So let me ask you a question, loved ones. I I was so convicted. I'm preaching to myself right now. So convicted this week. What kingdom are you focused on seeing established? Man's, a.k.a. yours, or God's? What kingdom are you focused on seeing established? The one in which you rule? Or the one that he has authority over? Whose authority are you submitting to? If I could, if I could uh, break that down, you know, I want to give you a, a phrase that's going to really help you remember and just bring it to mind quickly. Here it is. Whose authority is your priority? Who's on the throne? Whose authority is your priority with your job? with your scheduling? Whose authority is the priority in your marriages? Let's take it on an individual level first, then we'll get to the church. Your marriages. Whose authority is your priority in your entertainment choices? Whose authority is your priority in your schooling? Students, I know it's exam time. It's a great time to ask the question. Where are you distracted? Building the earthly kingdom. What area do you need to submit to him right now? Even take a moment just to write it on that sermon note. What is it? As the Holy Spirit, is there anything you say, I don't know, then ask him. He'll show you. It's what he wants for you. How about us as a church, loved ones? Is his authority, is his kingdom our priority? Is it the convictions we hold? Look at these four pillars around this room. The convictions we hold to on leadership, the convictions we hold to in unapologetic preaching and unashamed worship and unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, the convictions we hold to about our mission, which I love seeing it on our stage today. Praise the Lord. Thank you, team. The ministries we have. Are we just trying to build just an earthly kingdom to get more people in the door? Or are we following God's mission at his time and trusting him to bring the growth? How about this? The prayers we pray, that's reflected on whose kingdom we're trying to build. How about how we serve or plug into the church? Are we seeing the, the kingdom of God advance by that urgency in our heart to say, Lord, I'm here, I want to be a part of it. What am I doing? Help me. See, here's what we have to understand, loved ones. What we submit to is what we commit to. What we submit to will be what we commit to. The authority we submit to will be the authority we commit to. Whether it's God, whether it's ourselves, whether it's the priorities or authority of this world. The truth is this, loved ones, Jesus Christ is our king. And he is building his kingdom. Amen? He is building his kingdom. We are his servants. That gets a bad rap in society today. I don't want to be a servant. You want to be Christ's servant. Trust me. That's where freedom is. We have been entrusted with that mission and are called to submit under his authority for how it happens. He holds the authority. We don't. We don't. The devil would love nothing more than for us to be distracted from seeing Christ's kingdom advance and settle for much less as we focus on these little earthly kingdoms. I was reminded this morning in reviewing the message, the devil doesn't need to kill a man to keep him from advancing with the kingdom of God through the power of God. The devil just needs to distract him.
my stuff, my ways, my desire, my wants. And, and so often we'll pray, as I've said before, I'll say it again, I'm just so convicted every time I write this on here, so often we will pray, thy kingdom come, but we should be praying, my kingdom go. My kingdom go. My earthly kingdom I'm trying to build, my comfort that I make such a priority, has to go. If we're going to see the advancement of the kingdom of God, taking up our cross and following him. See, loved ones, to fulfill God's mission for his church, we must submit to his authority. He is our king and we are his servants. He is building his kingdom. And when we come under his authority, we realize this, we must engage in his mission. If we're building, so focused on building our earthly kingdom, we will not engage in his mission. Witness. Witness. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here's the truth. Christ advances his kingdom through our witness. See that? Christ doesn't need us. He's choosing to use us. Okay? Christ advances his kingdom through our witness. See, Jesus now gives the mission for how his disciples are to see the church built up, established and advanced for his glory. He says that they are to be his witnesses literally to the ends of the earth. Okay, let's get on the same page, loved ones. What does witness mean? Witness mean. In the Greek, here's what it means. Martis. Hey, where do we get the word martyr from? Right there. The Greek word for witness is martis means martyr, one who preaches or testifies to the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is an unafraid witness that is willing to die for their faith. That's the word witness means. Martus. Or you get the word martyr. Christ gives them the what, and now he tells them the where. See, these are people, these witnesses, if I could sum that up, these are people who are brave enough to tell the truth about Jesus. There's your witness. Brave enough in your workplace. Brave enough in your classroom. Brave enough in the cafeteria. Brave enough from this pulpit. Brave enough in Harvest Kids. Brave enough in your families to tell the truth about Jesus. Witness. Risking what may happen. But unafraid. Now, he tells them the what they're supposed to be doing, but where? So you're going to see a map here. They were to be preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. So you see Jerusalem there in the middle. That's locally. He starts local. See what God's doing here? God's a God of order. Never puts anything out of order in his word. Start locally in Jerusalem. Then he says, move to Judea. Judea is the region, the southern part of Israel. And then he says to Samaria, which is the, represents the national country of Israel. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. And what does the ends of the earth mean? Literally, to the furthest or extreme end. In their context, they were thinking Greece, Asia Minor, Rome. They didn't know about all the other stuff. But we know the world's a lot bigger than what they were thinking right there, yes? And we are called to go. God's kingdom, you know what I love about this? Think about this. To the ends of the earth, not just in Israel, not your own people group. Love this. Look at this. Look at this. God's kingdom is multicultural and transcends every race, ethnicity that so often divides people in this world. Amen? I love Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa, and what God is doing here. Why? Because he is literally bringing every tribe, tongue, and nation to this church. Amen? The church is the beautiful picture of reconciliation. It is the picture of unity by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love how John Stott puts this. You'll see it on the screen. He rules over an international community in which race, nation, rank, and sex are no barriers to fellowship. Where else are you going to get that in this world? And when his kingdom is consummated at the end, the countless redeemed company, love this, will be seen to be drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Come on. Hasten that day, Lord. Hasten that day. The disciples' vision, 
for their little local kingdom of Israel was way too small. Way too small. God is setting them up to be a light for the nations. They thought the work was just local. They thought it was all about what they could see. But the truth is, loved ones, we must understand God is always doing a greater work than what you and I can see. Okay? But if we get so focused in the here and now, just keeping our earthly kingdoms comfortable, we're in danger of missing it. In danger of missing it. So just put your... I laughed when I was going through this. Put yourself in the disciples' place right here. Okay? You've just heard Jesus give his grand plan for the humanly impossible task of building his church and seeing it established around the world. There's his grand plan. What is it? Tell the truth about him. What? Just tell the truth about me. Tell the truth that I, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Fully God came down to earth as fully God and fully man. Lived a perfect life for 33 years. Never sinned once. Went to the cross. Paid the penalty for sin that you and I deserved and that all of mankind deserved. And hung on that cross until it was finished and completed. Died was buried, three days later rose again in victory over sin and death. And now because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Tell them that and that is enough. So that's the plan. Now, think about, think about this. If you're a disciple, put yourself in the text. Live in the text, okay? If you're a disciple right now and you've just heard that, do you think they may have wondered, like, really, that's the plan? You're, you're going to build your church by that? I mean, <laughs> that's how your church will advance, not just locally in Jerusalem, but to the end of the earth? Shouldn't there be more things? to do than that? Programs to run to make it more attractional? Can we at least throw in some pita bread on Sunday mornings or something? Attractional. Let's make it all attractional. Can we run some more programs? He says, tell the truth about me. Be a witness. Preach the gospel, loved ones. He says, no. Why? Here, church, we need to be crystal clear on this. You'll see it on the screen. The mission of Christ is accomplished through the message of Christ. The mission of Christ is accomplished through the message of Christ. Simple truth right here. No message proclaimed, no mission pursued. There's the reality. Preach the gospel and use words because they're very necessary. No message proclaimed, no mission pursued. And so how are we to engage the mission? How do we engage it? Well, he tells us, love this. You'll see it on the screen. Number one, in his power. Look at verse 8a. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This daunting, impossible human task. He says, you will receive power. We're to do it in his power. Notice, notice the word receive there. We can't do that on our own. We don't have it. It has to come from him. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The purpose Christ calls... Yes. Let's start here. Power. Do you know what that Greek word power is? Dunamis. That's where we get the, Greek, uh, the English word dynamite from. Yes, now we're cooking. Amen? You will receive power. Dunamis. Dunamis means literally force or might or miraculous power, ability, energy, and marvelous works. Take that into your workplace. I'm walking with some dunamis today. Really? It's going to be, when we really realize what we have in Jesus Christ, the power he's given us to witness and to see his gospel advanced, the water cooler conversation's not so intimidating. Power, 
dunamis, having God's ability to perform, boom. See, recall the disciples. Now, you have to understand, loved ones, recall this. The disciples were just uneducated, ordinary people. They didn't have any seminary degrees, and Wayne Grudem's systematic theology was not printed yet. So how are they going to understand? Don't we make some of the same things? Well, I don't know enough. I, don't, I can't say anything. I, what do I say? What do I say? What do I do? Dunamis, loved ones, that's how. The power of the Holy Spirit, that's how. Who, will prom- who has promised to give us the words to speak. Every time, will you have faith to believe it? Because that determines how you receive it. See, the apostles would be immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he says, you, he will come upon you. We talked about baptism of the Holy Spirit last week. Immersed, not just sprinkled some of the Holy Spirit on you. You are immersed. That's the picture of baptism. And they would be empowered with a supernatural ability to proclaim the message of their king. Because here, well, who's the Holy Spirit? Let's get a quick theology of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be their helper. He would be their comforter. He would be their guide. Helper, comforter, think about this, guide, intercessor, praying for them, over them. He would be their defender. There's the Holy Spirit. Defender, intercessor, guide, helper, comforter. He would be the one to convict people of sin. He would be the one to open the hearts of people to receive the message and ultimately glorify Jesus Christ. And every time we shun away from being a witness at our workplace or being a witness to someone on the street and say, well, I can't speak to them because I won't know what to say, don't try to play God. It is not your job or mine to convict someone of the truth. Our job is to be a witness to proclaim it and leave the rest to him. I love how Martin Luther said, the word of God is a lion, just let it out of the cage and it'll fend for itself. Yes. Do you believe that, loved ones? There's dunamis. It'll fend for itself. It's not your job or mine to try to change the heart. Stop trying to play God, Ray. And it frees us up to share without fear. Love it. Love it. Convict people of sin. Have people receive the message. And this is the Holy Spirit. Ultimately glorify Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. It's not up to us to convict people of sin. See, I love John 16, 14. He says, he, being the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus says. This is the mission of the Holy Spirit right here. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's going to declare it to you and through you. That's the dunamis right there. And if I could sum that whole verse up, it'd be right here. This, God's power will always supply his faithful proclamation. God's power will always supply his faithful proclamation. So that conversation you're worried about, that, that relative, that coworker, that God's power will always supply his faithful proclamation. Force, might, ability, energy, marvelous work. Amen. Will we believe him? So how are we to engage the mission? Number one, in his power. We can't do it on our own. Nothing good happens. Number two, for his purpose. For his purpose. Look at the back half of verse eight. So for, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, this is God's purpose now. The purpose Christ calls them to witness for is the same purpose for which this church exists today. Make disciples. Make disciples. Now, we need to fill in the details from Matthew, which also gives an account of this exchange here. Matthew chapter 28 says this, 16 and 18 to 20, says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, there it is, the Mount of Olives, this ring a bell, in which Jesus had directed them. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, there it is again, all authority, Authority is a big deal to Jesus? Yes, it is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Because of that authority I have and because of the power that I'm giving you, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all I've commanded you and behold, here it is right here, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you, dunamis, I am with you, presence, I am with you. Now you say, well, what's, what's a disciple? What's a disciple? Here it is. One who progressively learns the word of God, growing in his knowledge and practice of it, to be trained and developed in the truths of scripture and lifestyle required. Someone who, who has a personal relationship with Christ and is growing in both belief and practice. Living out of God's word and knowledge of God's word. And here's the thing, you say, well, this isn't just for, hey, I want to I encourage you, loved ones, this isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for staff in a church or leaders in a church or small group leaders or the quote-unquote quote spiritually elite. Being a disciple, loved ones, is making disciples. It's making disciples. It's every single person in this room, everyone who's teaching kids right now down the hall, making disciples together. Let's not throw that all on our pastors and elders. That's not what you and I are called to. And you might think you're not equipped. I don't know enough. I don't know about the Bible. I don't know. What if, what if they say something and I can't answer them? Hey, hey, hey. I love how Tony Marita, commentator, says this. You'll see it on the screen. He says this. The ordinary people of God, equipped with the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, dedicated to the Son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. Amen? There it is. Why? Why? Because of this. Be encouraged with this. Supernatural acts of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Pastor Robbie told me once when I was on staff at Oakville, he said this. Ray, 90% of being faithful is just showing up. Will you trust the Lord in that moment? Supernatural acts of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Always. Okay. Are you faithfully taking part in this mission, loved ones? Are you? In this church? In your workplace? In your neighborhoods? And you say, well, that'll take sacrifice. And the answer is yes, it will. That's why Jesus says, go. I'm not going to leave you in your comfort zone. It's time to go to Ethiopia, Matthew. It's time to go to India, Thomas. Jesus tells us to go out of the comfort zone, out of our ease, out of our agenda, out of our ways of wanting to do things. Do you see why we cannot be a part of the mission of God if we're so focused on building our earthly kingdom? We won't go. We won't sacrifice Tony Marita goes on to say this, dedicated believers share this truth wherever they go in spite of what they encounter. The gospel, never, the gospel never triumphs apart from some measure of sacrifice. Someone has to sacrifice so that others may live. Question, loved ones, I was asked myself this all week. Are you willing to sacrifice so that others may live and see God's glory established through his kingdom? Are you willing to sacrifice to go there for? To go there for into the nursery? To go there for in your classroom? To go there for on a welcome team? To go there for on a setup team? To go there for, why? So that God would be glorified and others may live. I pray that's the driving motivation why our setup team's here at 6.30 in the morning. That God would be glorified and others may live as disciples. Someone has to sacrifice. So where do you need to step in to engage the mission? Maybe in your personal life, with your family. Hey, men, we've got, we're called to lead our families. Guys, it's all throughout scripture. We don't need another lesson on should we do it. It's not a matter of should we. We're called to lead. We're called to be witnesses for our king, to our families, to our wives. How about this in the workplace or students in your classrooms? How about here in the church, Harvest Kids Ministry, Welcome Ministry, coming to prayer nights as witnesses of Christ. I love hearing reports from this school saying, how come so many people come to pray? What is that? That doesn't make sense. Oh, yes, it does. 
when you're seeing the kingdom of God do what he has promised it to do. It makes perfect sense. How about this Sunday setup or worship team? Listen, what, why do this? Why do this? Why do we come to prayer night? Why do we hold a baby in the nursery? Why do we set up a chair? Why do we shake a hand? Why do we put parking signs out on the road? And why do we give tithes and offerings to the work of the gospel? So that others may live and God would be glorified through the fulfillment of the great commission. There it is. So clear. So clear. What is your next step? What is your next step? Applications are right there. What is your next step in your workplace? Or in your marriage, guys, loved ones. To fulfill God's mission for his church, we must submit to his authority. He is our king, we are his servants. We must engage in his mission, because Christ's kingdom advances through our witness and his power. And as we engage as witnesses for Christ, here it is, final point, we must witness with his mindset, urgency. We must witness with his mindset, urgency. Look at 9 to 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Awesome. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here is this. The truth is this, loved ones. Our king is coming, and we must get ready. Our king is coming, and we must get ready. After Jesus gives the disciples their mission, he's lifted up, or he rises into heaven on a cloud. Picture this. Picture this. is amazing. This, he lifted up on a cloud that takes him out of their sight to where he is now seated, as Mark 16, 19 says, at the right hand of God. I love how one of the early church fathers, John Chrysostom, describes this. He says this, the royal chariot was sent for him. Oh, God. Yes, the royal chariot was sent for him. He's ascending to heaven. What an awesome picture. Now look at verse 10 there. It says this, And while they were gazing, the word gazing there means this, to be fixated, occupied by, or to strain intensely, like this. Like, think about this. There goes Jesus on the royal chariot. And they're just standing there. Really? Like this is happening. Loved ones, let me remind you, this actually happened. Acts is a historical narrative. This actually happened. This is not fiction. Picture yourself if you're on the Mount of Olives at this moment. And if that's not enough, (laughs) he goes on to say this, gazing into heaven, behold. Okay, remember I said at Easter, every time you see the word behold, that's a divine highlighter. God uses it as a divine highlighter in his book to say, hey, draw attention to something specifically worthy of observation. So pay attention to what happens next. Behold, here it is, two angels, (laughs) two men stood by him in white robes. Now the white robes there mean this, bright or brilliant, dazzling garments of those who have been exalted to the heavenly state. Oh, what a day. That's a big day. When you say, loved ones, That's a big day. There goes your Savior, and now you've got two angels standing beside you. But notice what they say. Notice what the angels say. Here's the disciples. And notice, here's what the angels say, verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Now notice what they don't say. Hey guys, yeah, totally, that's pretty amazing, huh? That's incredible. Yeah, go ahead, keep gazing for a while. They're not coming around saying that. They're not saying, yeah, I'd understand why you'd be so fixated, you know, spend some time thinking. Listen, loved ones, if if there was anyone ever who had an excuse not to be urgent about Christ's mission, it was the disciples right here, right? Right? Hey, They don't say, hey, keep standing around. Take it all in, guys. They say this, why are you standing around looking into heaven? Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, um, because there's some serious awesomeness going on here. They're like, why are you standing there, loved one? You will see him for eternity. 
but the people that he's sending you to may not if you don't get on with it. Why are you standing around just gazing, indifferent to the mission at this moment, just indifferent? Why are we standing there? He says, he has promised and empowered you with absolutely every single thing that you need to complete the mission. He's coming back soon. He's coming. Don't stand around. Stop standing and being distracted from that. The same way you just saw him leave will be the way he comes back very soon. Don't believe me? Luke 21, 27. I love how Luke describes this. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and glory. That day's coming. He's like, get ready, loved ones. Get on a mission, loved ones. Don't be distracted. You've been given the greatest privilege and responsibility that anyone could ever be given by the king of all eternity to proclaim his word and do his work. There's no time to waste. Get after it, guys. The excuses run out right there. They run out. Oh, I don't have time. I can't make the time. Just the sacrifice. Go back to the disciples right here. Question, are you engaging the mission Christ has called you to with urgency? Not out of convenience. Well, when this happened, then, this, then I'll be up. But out of an urgent conviction, because that's the mission we're called to. Are we? As a church, as individuals, or are we standing around gazing, fixated on other things and distracted from? Jobs, relationships, agendas. See, loved ones, Christ is not calling his church to passive indifference, but passionate engagement of the mission he's called us to. Not passive indifference, let someone else go, but passionate engagement. By the power, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. The eternal power of God himself. He's literally saying, this, <laughs> so you guys laugh about this in the library. This is literally saying, there's Jesus. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness, loved ones? Harvest Ottawa, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness in your classroom? Can I get a witness to those kids in the nursery? Can I get a witness to someone shaking a hand and seeing the love of Jesus Christ poured out all over them? Can I get a witness? There he is. There's the mission, loved ones. It's so clear, and I encourage you, if Harvest Ottawa is your home church, don't stand around gazing. Applications right at the back say, how can I get plugged into what God is doing? This is not just some grab for, hey, let's get more pay. This is the mission of God for his church, building a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we have the greatest privilege of all time and called to be a part of it. How will we respond? Revelation always leads to responsibility. Always. Pray, seek him. Is there a church? Is there a people that will go for me? That will say, here I am, send me. Not even across the world. How about across the street? How about across the hall? Are there people who are willing to sacrifice and count the cost so that God will be glorified and others may live and urgently go after those who will die without hearing this message proclaimed? You say, well, wait a second. How do I live with urgency? I just feel kind of, you ever get stagnated in your faith, loved ones? And you're like, how do I live with urgency? How do I do that? I just kind of feel indifferent and dry some days. Here. Five things we're going to end with right here. How do we feel urgency in a walk with God? How does God promise to fuel that in our hearts? Here it is. It all comes down to five priorities. If we are struggling and living with urgency or conviction about this truth, we are called to proclaim one or more of these is out of whack. Guaranteed. Here it is. Number one, priority of Christ. His authority. His authority must be our priority. We can't do this on our own. We must, it must be God-given and God-driven. The priority of Christ, John 15, 5, in his power, Jesus says, Without, apart from me, you can do nothing. The, the priority of Christ, and if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that is your first step to getting ready when your king comes back. 
right there saying, Jesus Christ, I repent of my sin and I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And he says, yes. And he gives you his power and salvation and freedom from sin. Number two, so five priorities we must keep. Keep the priority of Christ. Where's your authority, loved ones, in your entertainment? What's on your bookshelf? Does it reflect that authority? In your DVD case, in your music stacks, whose authority's over that home? All those things, they, they numb us. If they're not of him, take an inventory. Here it is, priority of Christ. Number two, priority of scripture. Priority of scripture. I love how Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What happens when you get the living and active word of God inside of you is now we become living and active by the power of the Holy Spirit. That drives us to urgency because that's the mission of the Holy Spirit to see the kingdom of God advance, for God to be glorified. We become living and active. How's your God time, loved ones? How is it? Five priorities we must keep for urgency. Priority of Christ, his power, his authority. Priority of scripture, it's living and active. Priority of prayer, priority of prayer. Colossians, Colossians 4, one of my favorite texts says this, verses 2 to 3a. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. See that? Steadfastly. Be watchful, be urgent, be expectant. Stay awake. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God, here it is, may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. What's that witness? Verse four, that I may speak it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Clear. Priority of prayer, asking him for urgency. And if you're here and you're like, man, I, I'm just not urgent in my faith. Listen, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Can we be clear on that, loved ones? There's none. But God's given us very simple tools that as we, by the power of the Spirit, ask him to help us put these things in place in godly order in our lives, he promises to bless it. And he will fan that into flame. Guarantee it. Guarantee it, loved ones. Take the inventory. All right? Priority of Christ. Priority of Scripture. Priority of prayer. Here it is. Priority of worship. Priority of worship. I love how Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, just a few pages over, says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. See that? There's the urgency. Stir each other up. This is why I love coming together in the house of God. This is why I'm so thankful the weather just held off, that God was so gracious to do that, because we can stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. There it is, stirring one another up. All the more as you see the day. What's the day? Jesus Christ coming back drawing near all the more keeping church a priority keeping worship your small groups a priority step in and stir up one another lastly is this priority of obedience priority of obedience james 122 says don't just be hearers of the word but doers of the word hey loved ones would you agree with me that we already have way more knowledge of the bible than we do obedience to it We're not called to get obese on biblical knowledge. We're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling by the power of the Holy Spirit, not some humanistic self-effort, not some legalism. Don't just be hearers, but doers. You ever wonder why we're not living with urgency? Chances are it's because we're not obeying where God's calling us to. So how about you? Think about, there's five what priority needs to be put in place or priorities to fulfill Harvest Ottawa to fulfill God's mission for our church we must submit to his authority he's our king, we're his servants we must engage his witness mission we must engage his mission witness, his kingdom advances through our witness and we must witness with his mindset, urgency. Our king is coming and we must get ready. Loved ones, if you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your savior, most important question in love, I say this. Do you really think you're ready for your king to come? And church, believers, brothers and sisters, 
Are we ready for our king to come as a church? If he came today, can we honestly say that as the body of Christ, not just a few people, but as the body of Christ, we would be ready by his power to have engaged what he entrusted to us? Just think about it. Take it to the Lord. Hey, church, you in? Are you in? There is nothing greater to give your life to. No kingdom that will last. Are you in? Are we in? Together on this? Hey, God's not focused just on Ottawa. God's focused on the nations. Will we take them up on it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. So clear, so convicting even right now for myself as I preach through that. And God, there's so much hope there. I pray anyone sitting here under well, I'm not fired up. I'm not, I'm not wanting to engage. Lord, I pray they would just take their first step. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but under the sweet conviction of the Holy Spirit all across this room right now, I pray right now you would give clarity on what priority we need to have and what authority we need to make our priority in those areas. Father, I ask in Jesus' name right now that you would fire up such an urgency and expectancy in our hearts, Lord we can only see a snapshot, but you are doing so much more than we could ask for or imagine. And you promise to do that as we just simply take you at your word and make ourselves available to that. Those supernatural acts of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. And so, Father, show us where that is for us. And I pray you would see in this church a church that desires faithfulness to you. Father, that is willing to sacrifice for the glory of God that others may live and be made disciples of Jesus Christ. And will you please lend your strong support to us, God? We need you so much. Please come right now. In Jesus' name, amen.